Hello, and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike, and with me, as always, is your other co-host, John. John, how you doing tonight? Doing all right, man. Uh, had a long drive last night. Um, I'm here in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, the song or a city made famous by Billy Joel and uh, great song. Great song. So, you know, but I'm glad to be here. It's good. I didn't know we were going to get to Billy Joel on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, you know the song, right? It's fantastic. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> all right. Very cool. Um, John, is there anything in particular you want to announce before we get right into these week 12 reviewing these games? Absolutely. As always, uh, you know, you want to find, uh, we live for Saturday. Uh, it is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google podcasts and podcast addict. You can also find us on Twitter at we live for B one G sat. And you can also email us any questions, things like that. Um, and comments we at uh, we live for Saturday b1g at gmail.com. Awesome. All right. Should we get right into these games, John? Let's do it. First up, we had the number three Michigan Wolverines 31, the Maryland Terrapins 24. Total yards Michigan at 291 to Maryland's 262. So neither squad surpassed 300 yards. That's significant. It was a close, hard-fought, defensive kind of struggle. Michigan had a balanced attack while Maryland was unable to run the ball and had to rely on Leah to make all the plays. Terps had 15 rushing yards on 33 attempts for an average of one half yard per rush. That is abysmal. Michigan had just one turnover while Maryland turned it over three times. For Maryland, QB Leah Tugavailoa was 21 for 31 for 247 yards on eight yards per attempt, zero TDs, two interceptions. Those two picks proved costly in a very close game. So aside from the picks, Leah played really well. Unfortunately, the picks count too, and he threw them. Roman Hemby managed just 35 yards on 3.2 yards per rush, and the other backs fared worse, not better. Uh, multiple receivers chipped in as Prather had three grabs, Jones had four, and Ty Felton had five catches to lead Maryland. For Michigan, J.J. McCarthy had a below-average day by his own lofty standards. He was 12 for 23 for 141 yards, just 6.1 yards per attempt, which is about four yards lower than his normal yards per attempt average. That's a, usually around 10. Um, he also threw zero TDs and threw one pick. So that's significant. Maryland was able to limit the number of explosive passing plays for Michigan, which was impressive from the Maryland defense. Uh, Colston Loveland, Cornelius Johnson, and Roman Wilson combined for just seven catches for 83 yards for Michigan. Blake Corum managed 94 hard-fought yards, but on just 3.4 yards per rush. He did score two touchdowns and did play really well in this game. And linebacker Junior Colson had a nice day with eight tackles, including six solo. So, John, what did you think about this one? <clears throat> well, to be honest, I mean, as much as like those, obviously those uh, interceptions by Leah um, hurt them, I still saw. So this is the best I've seen any team play against Michigan so far. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and it really, especially early on in the game, there was a lot of really creative plays that I was really I was impressed by um, that Maryland was able to pull off. And <clears throat> and also, you know. I know 
it seems to be a trend with Talia that like he's he's either he's either really really on and just making incredible pa- incredible throws and has some fantastic uh, you know pass catchers back there too that make incredible plays, or he's off you know and it just it sucks you know because you see them rolling and this isn't the first time like I said you know they're they look like they're going to finally pull it off and. And uh, and they end up shooting themselves in the foot. And Liam, take, he's a risk taker, man. And I, I love that about him. And I hate that about him. Because it, <laughs> it's, <clears throat> he, you love seeing him just like make these incredible, incredible plays. But then, you know, in, unfortunately, uh, against teams like Michigan, you know, you make one mistake and they'll capitalize on it. And and so, you know, I, I, I think Maryland should be very proud of what they've accomplished. They they're the first team to score points in the third quarter against Michigan all season, which is that's huge. Yeah. Um, they kept this close, and and you know Michigan was scared, and they they should have been. This was this was. Uh, I don't think until towards the end, it really didn't seem like they had a a, a hold on this game. Like it could have gone another any uh, either way at some point. So. But um, <clears throat> my main, you know, again, what we've talked about, you know, it looked like that the offensive line wasn't that great. Talia was always running for his life. And, you know, he's good at making plays happen and extending plays. But if you don't have any pass protection, as we see uh, as the game goes on, it just it starts to wear on you. And then he's, he started getting hit. And I think there was uh, they got Michigan's defense got two two safeties, at least on the game. Yep, they did. So two, two safeties. Yeah, so you know, and it's you can't give that kind of stuff up, and that that really hurts you, and it hurts your momentum. But Michigan, on the other hand, you know, overall, they, again, they're they're fantastic. Their offensive line was great. Their run pass, their running, um, run blocking, and their pass pro was fantastic. Uh, their quorum looked fant- great. You know, their running game. But what I'm I'm wondering is, it does seem like they're going away from the the pass game, like almost entirely in the last couple of games, it's in, in some ways, like it seems that way, unless I'm like missing something here, which I probably am, but it seems like they're focusing much more, more on the run and leaning on that. And I, I feel like at the beginning of the season, there were, there were, you know, throwing the ball through the air a lot more. Um, Yeah. I don't really understand why JJ McCarthy has been playing really well. I don't know why you suddenly want to just totally take the ball out of his hands and treat him like he's some kind of game manager quarterback. Yeah, it's it's a little concerning, too, because that's I don't know if that's going to work next week. Like, I don't think it is. No. Uh, so and, and if and now this has been like what the second or third week in a row that we're kind of seeing this downward trend of, of yep. a Michigan pass game. And I'm like, I'm not saying they can't do it. I mean, they can absolutely we've seen them throw the ball. So We've seen but them I, do it all year. They just have chosen not to the last couple of weeks. Exactly. And I'm a little concerned about that and wondering why that is. So, but, uh, all, you know, just a funny little thing that I noticed, you know, is, is Michigan the only team that can score a, t- a touchdown with on a jet sweep? You know, I just, I. <laughs> yeah, they made it work. <laughs> I haven't seen anyone else pull that off. Um, but Ohio yeah. State's pretty good on the jet sweep too. That's that's true. You know, I think yeah, Michigan and Ohio State have the the personnel to do that. But and then you know, Michigan defensively, they're dude, they are so scary. They're so fast. They're so strong. <laughs> and it's just they're they are man. That that boa constrictor analogy is is just perfect. So yeah. Well, here's what I think sums it up. 
The defensive score for Michigan off the Leah fumble made it 14-3 Michigan, right? Mm -hmm. Then Michigan blocks the punt to make it 16-3 off the safety. They went then went up 23-3. And then later they got another safety. So truly a game Michigan won through all three phases. Their offense wasn't enough by itself, but Michigan also scored on defense, um, on defense and special teams. Yeah. So those 11 non-offensive points loom large in a seven-point win. Yeah. Nailed it. Um, I'll give Maryland a lot of credit, though. When they were down 23-3, to they could have laid over and died right there, but they didn't do that. They fought their way back. They scored on that fourth down QB sneak to make a 24-10, and after that, they were back in the game. And then McCarthy throws the terrible end zone pick, which gives Maryland a jolt. Maryland scores again early third to make it 23-17. Uh, Michigan scores, doesn't get the two. And then Leah hits Prather on the fade route inside the one. Terp score on another QB sneak to make it 29-24. And they were right there. Mm-hmm. They were right there. Yep. Right there in winning time. And then what happened when it was winning time and Michigan needed it and they needed it bad and Maryland was about to, to go right down there and win that game. The Michigan pass rush did it again. Yeah. And they got to Leah and they took him down multiple times. And then he throws the pick under duress. Mm-hmm. So Minish- Michigan finished finished the game defensively with that elite pass rush. Yep. Yeah, I know that was the same thing that I took note of too, especially at the end. And and but you know, again, Maryland and should definitely be be proud of what they've been able to do against this team, which could easily be ranked number one in the country. Um, And I think what I am liking to see with this trend with Mike Loxley sometimes here, I know that, that they had a, they definitely kind of fell apart again here towards the end of the season or in the second half of the season, but you got to bowl eligibility though. You, they did. They got to bowl eligibility, bowl eligibility. And they are, like you said, they are, they're fighting back and more so than they used to because we are used to seeing them kind of just roll over and give up and that's good to see that there's more fight in this team so yeah there's it's 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 not all bad yeah this is the first time michigan's been truly tested all year with all like due respect i mean i guess penn state tested them you can say yeah, but this is you know this is the sec, but this is uh, Maryland really had a chance to win this game, whereas I never felt like Penn State was going to win the game against Michigan. I agree. Um, you have to credit Maryland for showing up, but you got to also fault Michigan for getting pushed by a Maryland team that isn't great in the trenches. Yeah, and it makes me wonder going into this next week, you know. How if was Michigan looking ahead a little bit to Ohio State? Because how's that front going to hold up against OSU? They're going to have to play better than they did against the Terps. Absolutely. It's going to be an interesting game. And like and they're really going to have to get that passing game going again. And I'm I'm just curious if there's a reason for it. If there's somebody who's banged up, if like their receivers just aren't at 100 percent or what? But it seems very unusual to me. Well, I think Roman Wilson is allegedly banged up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't think he played a ton. I think the idea was to have him, you know, hopefully be good, you know, feeling better going into next week. 
I don't. I, yeah, it's they're going to need the passing game. They're going to need to make chunk plays in the passing game, which is what they had to do last year to get ahead of Ohio State. So it does seem strange that they've gone away from it. And it does unless unless it's a thing where where Harbaugh's got all his best plays and he's just got them in a little bag and he's saving them. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> all right. With the win. Number three, Michigan goes to 11 and 0 with the loss. Maryland drops to six and five. All right. Next up. We have number 12, Penn State, 27, Rutgers, 6. Total yards, Penn State had 322 to Rutgers, 229. Uh, It was a strange game in that neither team passed the ball very much. The two teams threw a combined 30 passes in the game. By contrast, they combined for 81 rushing attempts. And that is where the tale of this game is told, because Penn State averaged 6 yards per rush, while Rutgers averaged just 2.4 yards per rush. That was the difference in this game. For Penn State, Drew Aller was 6 of 13 for 6.1 yards per attempt, zero TDs and zero picks. Aller also shipped in 28 yards rushing before exiting with a second-half injury. Backup Bo Bo Pribula threw just one pass and otherwise kept it on the ground in relief of Aller. Uh, Or Pribula? Pribula, I think. Pribula, yeah. Pribula had 71 yards rushing on nearly nine yards per rush buoyed by a 39-yard jaunt. DL Chop Robinson had another huge day with five tackles, a sack, and two tackles for loss. Dude is a menace on the line of scrimmage. Running backs Katron Allen and Nick Singleton both had nice days with 69 and 61 yards, respectively. Allen had two TDs. Nobody had a standout day receiving for Penn State as the Nittany Lions completed just seven passes. For Rutgers, QB Gavin Wimsat went 10 of 16 for 130 yards passing on 8.1 yards per attempt, but unfortunately threw an interception. Star Rutgers running back Kyle Manungai was shut down entirely with just 39 yards on 2.4 yards per rush. Isaiah Washington led Rutgers in receiving with five catches for 55 yards. Um, John, what'd you think about this one? Yeah, uh, it was... It was a, a kind of a strange game to watch. Um, but, yes, it was a weird game. Yeah, uh, but I, I guess the the main thing I can say and give credit to for Rutgers is that they were. It did look like their defense was able to keep them in the game for at least the first half. Um, that defense is still legit. Uh, you know, you're just playing against a, a Penn State offense that just had. You know, they've they've got more weapons to to go around, and and their running game is 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 solid and they just you know defenses as we've seen all year and talked about um they just can't keep you going if your offense isn't going to be able to to uh to produce at any level unfortunately it just looked like that that uh Rutgers offense you know you shut down an on guy there's nothing you can do you keep Wimsat from being able to create plays um you know it's just and that's what they did and that Penn State defense is fantastic and so unfortunately for Rutgers that's just the way it went now with Penn State um what I thought was was very interesting as well is, you know, how much they, they ran the ball. And, and it seemed, you know, I know that this is a freshman QB uh, with uh, uh, Prabula and but it didn't seem like there was like a lot of there wasn't a lot of trust. Um, they didn't want to let him throw a lot at all, but they did have a lot of uh, um, QB design runs and he was fantastic. He was yeah. great. I mean, he's definitely uh, more dangerous with his legs than Aller is. 
and and then you you know you add Allen, Catron uh, Allen, and uh, Nick Singleton on top of that, and it's just you know um, it's really tough to stop. Now, what I did here, one of the announcers mentioned it, and it's true, and I think we've been talking about it a little bit uh, throughout the season. Um, is what I've noticed with Penn State's wide receivers, and this is also why maybe they're not throwing the ball as much. Is there's they just don't get a lot of separation, like. Other than Keandre Lambert Smith. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just it's kind of strange for for Penn State. I'm not um I'm a little they surprised. They usually have elite receiving options and you're right. They are not they do not have guys who are getting wide open on a regular basis. No, it seems like they really are struggling this year and um you know, I I don't know. Uh so I mean, I guess that, you know, which makes sense why they're they're choosing to run the ball a lot more as well, but um, and defensively, yeah, Penn State just looks fantastic. Plenty of pressure on the QB, sacks, forced fumbles, interceptions. They did it all. So that's kind of what I saw here. It was pretty dominant. Yeah, Penn State's incredible defensively, for sure. Um, speaking to it being close game, though, it was 13-6 late third quarter. So this was a game deep into the second half when who else but Chop Robinson made that play to force Wimsat to fumble, giving the Nittany Lions the chance to extend the lead. Chop Robinson is just always there making plays. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, he's incredible. And uh, this was another game where the Penn State pass rush, kind of like we were talking about Michigan, kind of closed the game for Penn State late, made it tough on Wimsat, made it you know impossible to mount any kind of comeback. Um, so it was that kind of game. I thought that Rutgers, they had first and goal and ended up running the ball on third and long from goal. And I, at one point, I thought settling for three really hurt Rutgers there. And the early turnover hurt Rutgers as well as it led to a Nittany Lions field goal. So in a game that was close, it could have been even a little bit closer. Um, You know, even in potentially, or at least Rutgers could have been right in that game a little more. Yeah, it's it's just more it's too conservative play or play calls, and I and I don't know. You know, we've obviously we're well well aware of with what Kirk Sharaka can he can kind of turtle as well, and and uh, I know they on Sharaka or on Shianu though. Uh, maybe even both. You know, and, and yeah. prob- I mean Shiano probably. You know, he's got he's definitely got some similar tendencies, of course, as uh, just like PJ does, um, which is why who I'm referring what I'm referring to here. Um, but I I think you know, you have a lot of faith in your running back. I get it. But just like what we've seen at Minnesota, I think like you, there's definitely these times where there, you, you can't, you can't just continue to, to, to lean on as, as great as your running back is in these certain positions in these crucial times in the game, you have to go to the air. You just have to, you have to trust your quarterback and you have to trust your play caller to make something happen. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. With the win, Penn State goes to nine and two. With the loss, Rutgers drops to six and five. Next up, we've got the Michigan State Spartans 24, the Indiana Hoosiers 21. Total yards, Michigan State had 317 to Indiana's 402. So IU outgained Sparty by nearly 100 yards and still found a way to lose. Um, both teams passed the ball with some success and also plenty of failure, but IU was able to run the ball for over 200 yards. Well, Michigan state was held to 72 yards rushing. So that was a big contrast in this game too. 
For Sparty, Caden Hauser had some highs, highs and low lows in this performance. 26 for 41 for 245 yards, just six yards per attempt, three TDs and two picks. QBR 43.6. Uh, Sparty running back Nathan Carter had just 42 yards rushing on 3.8 yards per rush. He also did not return after leaving with an injury in the third quarter, so we definitely hope he's okay. And tight end Malik Carr and wide receiver Montori Foster had big days. Carr had 100 yards receiving on nine grabs and two scores, while Foster had 93 yards on seven catches and a touchdown. Monster days from these two players helped Sparty manage to sneak out a win despite on a day when they couldn't run the ball very well. And DB D'Angelo, or DB Angelo Gross had 10 tackles and a half tackle for loss. For IU, Soresby was 19 for 34 for 192 yards on 5.6 yards per attempt, two TDs and zero picks, QBR of 64.5. So Soresby was decent, but he didn't play as well as he has recently, and he particularly was not very good early in the game. Howland and Henderson had 77 and 74 yards respectively on 4.1 and 5.7 yards per rush. Howland also had a TD. Soresby added 59 yards rushing on 14 attempts with a long of 25 yards. Donovan McCauley at 72 yards receiving, while Dequeese Carter added 59 on six grabs. Indiana kicker Chris Freeman went 0 for 2 on field goals today, including missing the game-tying field goal try that would have forced overtime. IU needed their kicker to show up for them Saturday, and he did not. So, John, what would you think about this one? This was frustrating, dude. Um, <clears throat> it really was. It was. Uh, I. I mean, both teams were 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 inconsistent, kind of throughout. Um, it was a lot of uh, ups and downs for for both teams. <clears throat> you know, Michigan State. You know, again, I mean, I got to give full credit to Malik Carr. Like that dude is a freaking unit, and he's a beast. He's. He, I don't know. I yeah. I, I he's so hard to take down, and he does. He catches everything. He he's he's fantastic. So he's a great weapon that they've been able to find out there, and he's incredibly effective. And you know, um, but Hauser, you know, still he looks incredibly efficient at times, and the passing game looks fantastic. But then the very next series, it's it just all falls apart. So I that's that's what i'm seeing there and then the running game too it just doesn't seem to be very um consistent either so that's that's sparty's biggest issue i think all year with their offense is they'll look amazing and then they don't and then they look amazing and then they don't but defensively they were i think they had solid coverage throughout most of the game um their pass rush uh, quite often was giving soresby fits i think back there and um, but you know, it, it, towards the end of the game, they were definitely breaking down against the run and, you know, having a ton of trouble there. Um, but off, uh, but with Indiana here, um, you know, Sorsby, I think he started out, he started out, you know, a little jittery. He was sailing balls all over the place, but he settled down. Um, he was, I think like he was having some trouble finding targets downfield, um, and uh, but Howland looked good early on. And then McCauley, of course, does what he what he's been doing and coming up big at clutch moments. And yeah, and he moved, dude, he moves so well for his stature as well. Like he's just like he's, he's smooth, very smooth. Yeah. So but um, it's just what's frustrating here because you had Henderson look good. You had this like the this amazing TD pass Trey Walker. You 
you know, Soresby was like running his heart or, you know, running, running like crazy. And he looked amazing at times too. But at the end, I mean, I got to say it, we got to talk about the, the refs in this game and I don't like talking about it, but like, this was, this was kind of, this was brutal. It was egregious. Yeah. And down the stretch, Indiana was on the wrong side of several bad calls. Yep. First, QB Brendan Soresby drew a ridiculous intentional grounding penalty that clearly violates the spirit of the rule. So Soresby threw the ball to where he thought a receiver was breaking deep. The receiver read the coverage differently and broke off his route for a hitch. So while Soresby technically threw to an unoccupied area, that's not what intentional grounding is meant to punish. Intentional grounding is meant to punish when the quarterback is just throwing the ball away and doesn't have a receiver that he's going to. Yeah. It's not it's not supposed to punish when the quarterback and the receiver have a miscommunication and one of them throws a different route or runs a different route than the other one throws. And that difference between a 42-yard kick and a 48-yard kick is not insignificant, mm-hmm. especially when Indiana missed the kick, which would have pushed the game into overtime. There were a couple other late calls that were just awful, too. On Sparty's go-ahead touchdown, there was a very obvious holding penalty uh, by the offensive tackle on the defensive end. It was so obvious that I was screaming at my television about it, and you and I were simultaneously texting about how bad uh, the non-call was. Yep. So it was so obvious that, I mean, like, it jumped off the screen. It was a kind of holding. Like, there's no... And it was it went on for a long time too. Yeah, and even the announcers were talking about it. And I mean, and then the announcer was like, "Oh no, no, no! That's they, they made the right call to, to let that go." And it's like, but you you're that's acknowledging ridiculous. that it's holding. You're acknowledging that it's holding, and it and that that the call is there, but like, but that it should be letting you. They should let it go. Like, I no, like that's not how this works. Like holding it was holding. really blatant. Yes. And it's like, you have to make calls like that. Mm-hmm. And there was a late PI no call that benefited Sparty as well. Yep. So the point is that these calls matter. And it's not okay for the officials to miss such obvious calls late in the game. It damages how people view the sport when the officiating is that one-sided late in a football game. Yeah. So I felt bad for Indiana, man. I felt like with those calls that without the, I mean, granted they had their chances to win the game and they did and they did, you know, there were a lot of self-inflicted mistakes that they they made, especially I think in like the third quarter. Um, Yes. But at the end there, dude. Yeah. Like they had a shot and, and I think they did get, uh, they got screwed. They did in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, they should have at least that should have been a holding penalty. Sparty should have had to go back 10 yards back and play that one again. Yep. So that was frustrating. Yeah. I feel bad, man. I mean, because I think this Indiana team has something going and I hope, you know, now at this point, I kind of I am not, you know, not that I was ever wanting uh, Tom Allen to lose his job. I think he's. I think he's a great guy. I think he's a great coach. I think there's still some meat on the bone there, and what we're and that's what we're seeing at Indiana. I think they this team can fight, and I hope they can they uh, hold on to him here for another year and, and see what they can come back with next year. I think it would help a lot. It would help everybody a lot to feel better about the situation if Indiana could go out next week and beat Purdue. 
Yep. Get back the old oaken bucket. Call it good. Very, very possible. If that happens, then I think then Tom Allen is, you know, because there's still a matter of whether he keeps his job or not. I think his buy, it seems like he's trending towards keeping his job with the buyout so high, Mm -hmm. but it would buy a lot of goodwill with the Indiana Hoosier faithful if he went out and beat Purdue. Absolutely. All right. With the win, Michigan State moves to four and seven. With the loss, Indiana drops to three and eight. Next up, we had the Northwestern Wildcats 23, the Purdue Boilermakers 15. Total yards, Purdue had 443 to Northwestern's 329. For a Northwestern, QB Ben Bryant was an efficient 13 for 24 for 230 yards on 9.6 yards per attempt, one TD and one interception, uh, QBR of just 39.5. Running back Cam Porter had a huge day running the ball with 95 yards on 5.6 yards per rush and two TDs. Cam Johnson, Bryce Kurtz, and A.J. Henning made big plays in the passing game for Northwestern. Cam Johnson made a couple plays that made me sit up and take notice, John. Yep. That long TD catch and run was absurd. It was amazing. I mean, that was that was a cut. That was a cut that, I mean, he left the defender. I think he's still, they're broken ankles. It was, it was, it was pretty impressive stuff. Yep. Um, For the Cats linebacker, Xander Mueller had 13 tackles and a half sack. He had a big tackle for loss on a fourth and short early in the game that changed things considerably. Um, That was a huge play in this game. He also had the interception to clinch the game. So it was a big game for Mueller. For Purdue, starter Hudson Card wasn't able to play. Backups Ryan Brown and Bennett Meredith combined to go 17 for 23 for 140 yards and two interceptions. What Purdue was able to do well was get the running game going. Tyrone Tracy had 160 yards rushing on a gaudy 10 yards per rush and one TD. Backup QB Ryan Brown had 21 carries for 85 yards, so Purdue relied Purdue relied on the running back and QB run game in the absence of a big passing game at receiver. Nobody stuck out as the top receivers were the running backs, Mockaby and Tracy with 44 and 38 yards respectively. Uh, John, what'd you think about this one? Yeah, uh, this was also, um, this was very different uh, to see both of these teams uh, play the way that they're playing. I think like with Purdue, obviously the missing Hudson card was very, very apparent. Um, but yeah, you know, seeing that running game uh, thrive, I mean, was pretty cool. And, and seeing Tracy do what he does, what we've seen him do before, um, just not maybe at quite at this level. And he was all over the place. He looks inc- in- very, very impressive. Yeah. Uh, so it was, you know, that was that was good to see there. But, you know, without a without any kind of passing game to to uh, balance it out, it just it that's what I think really, really clearly hurt Purdue here in this game. Um, but defensively with Purdue, I think they played okay. They played all right. You know, they, they, um, they kept Bryant in check at times with, with, with some pressure and he, he definitely struggles under pressure. Um, but if he's given time in the pocket, he can make some amazing things happen. Yeah. Um, it looked like they were, they, they struggled really early on, but then, um, they were able to kind of come together here. I think like late in the half or late in the second, second quarter. And, uh, kind of 
tighten up a little bit in the second half, but with Northwestern, it looked like they got things going pretty early and being able to establish that running game. Like we've been talking about all season with, with Cam Porter. Now we've seen, this is what this guy can do. And if you create the holes that they were able to create, which home, you could drive a freaking you know, 18 wheeler semi truck through, um, yesterday, what we saw and, Porter was able to make a lot of things happen. And that really opened up that passing game, especially for Bryant. And when he, like I said, when he's in the pocket, dude, he can make some huge throws. He had just some beautiful passes, this beautiful touch that when he was floating one to Kurtz, he had this. And then also the, uh, you know, aside from the one, the play that you just talked about with Cam Johnson, that huge explosive play. Also that, that amazing back shoulder catch that he had was also incredible. Yeah. You know, so I think Northwestern's offense overall just did very, very well. Their offensive line had some issues sometimes, I think, in the pass pro, but nothing significant. And defensively, they had a huge goal line stop in the second. They had a you know recovered fumble, interception. You know, they they deserve this, man. And Braun has earned that spot. This is definitely more evidence that that he deserves that head coaching title. Head coaching title. He deserves to be Big Ten Coach of the Year, if you ask me. Yes, actually, he's got my vote. I mean, for what they've been to what they are now, I don't think. If here's a question: If Pat Fitzgerald is still Northwestern's coach, are they bowling? I mean, I don't know. I I mean, I'm not saying you know because we we but saw. You don't know, but we don't know. It's not don't. a sure thing. It's not a sure thing. We've seen, we saw Fitzy do that, you know, like he would have incredibly high highs and incredibly low lows. So it's possible, but I don't, I, but at the same time, like, how do you come in as an interim coach like this? And, and you got your, you're a defensive coordinator coming from the FCS and, yeah. you, and you get, you galvanize this team to play the way it, it has to get the buy-in just yeah. to get the buy-in is amazing. And then let alone the results. You know, I know that a lot of people want to make arguments for Iowa because of everything they've lost. And, you know, Kirk Ferentz being able to, like, get to where, you know, this many wins with, you know, all of the injuries and blah, 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 blah. But I mean, I'm sorry, is definitely man. a contender. He's definitely a contender for coach of the year. He is. Sure. But I just think Braun, what Braun has done at a program like Northwestern is more yeah. impressive to me. Absolutely. I, ag- I agree with you. Um. There were some moments early in this game where Purdue was in it and then things swung just a little bit Northwestern's way. So that early Purdue had a bad punt, really bad punt. And then subsequently there was a long pass from Bryant to Henning. And that was just key. It got them into the red zone. They scored a touchdown shortly after and they were kind of in control of the game from there on out. So... I thought that was a big turning point in the game. Mm-hmm. And then Purdue also had a bad punt that led to a touchdown and a missed field goal. Um, they Sorry, they had a bad punt that led to a touchdown, and they also had a missed field goal um, in the first quarter. So special teams matter in close games is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you could tell Graham Harrell didn't trust uh, – didn't trust his, his quarterbacks in this game at all. And, and I would have liked to seen, you know, see, uh, seen them at least try to throw the ball a little bit more than they did. It was, I understand why they had to lean on the running game, but you know, you gotta try to mix that up a little bit. That's true. But Purdue had four turnovers anyway. Yeah. So you throw it that much more, you might just be, 
turning it over more. Fair point. <laughs> but yeah, um, Northwestern's going bowling. I almost can't believe it. Yeah, I it's it's wild. Two and ten was what they were they were projected to go. Projected to be, yeah. What were they last year? One and eleven. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yep. Just crazy. So with the win, Northwestern goes to six and five. With the loss, Purdue drops to three and eight. All right. Next up, we've got the number sixteen Iowa Hawkeyes fifteen, the Illinois Illini thirteen. Total yards, Illinois had 280 to Iowa's 281. So the yards were just about completely even in this game. Even the penalties were even at six apiece for similar yardage. For Iowa, QB Deacon Hill was 19 for 29 for 167 yards on 5.8 yards per attempt. One TD, zero picks for QBR 59.3, which doesn't sound like much, but that's a pretty solid performance from what Deacon Hill has done a lot of this year. Um, LaShawn Williams and Caleb Johnson each had 50 plus yards on the ground for the Hawkeyes and Caleb Brown had a nice day receiving with 71 yards on, uh, seven catches. Iowa DB Kerry Harris had eight tackles and four passes defended. So really nice day for him for Illinois QB. John Paddock was twist just 22 of 47 for 215 yards, 4.6 yards per attempt, zero TDs, zero picks. Running back Reggie Love at 64 yards rushing on 3.6 yards per rush. Well, star Isaiah Williams had another big game with eight catches for 105 yards. Casey Washington added eight for 58. Um, Caleb Johnson's 30-yard touchdown run with 443 to play gave Iowa the 15-13 win over Illinois on Saturday, which clinched the Big Ten West Division title for the Hawkeyes. Drew Stevens missed the extra point after the touchdown giving Illinois a chance to win the game with a field goal, but John Paddock threw an incomplete pass on fourth and two from his team's 33-yard line on the next possession, giving the ball back to the Hawkeyes with 344 to play. John, what did you think about this one? Well, to me, it looks like Illinois was really missing uh, Fagan. It looked like yeah. you know, not having a solid running back to be able to to lean on a little bit to help balance that offense was was really tough for them. Um you know, and also, you know, passing, throwing the ball against this Iowa defense is tough for anybody. So it's just, it was, it was a matchup that just kind of, you know, favored Iowa, um, I think a little bit more. And it was just, it was a tough loss for Illinois. Um, if they had, I think if they had a healthy Fagan, they, they could have uh, maybe been able the it may have swung the other way, but you know, um, Iowa continues to do these Iowa things that they've been doing. And it's even without Cooper DeGene, even without Cooper DeGene. Exactly. And I don't know what's going on, but like they are finding, you know, Deacon Hill is now finding success in play action. He yeah. is like rolling out with the ball. And it's really interesting to see that this and, and he's and he's completing throws, man. He's. He's making it work. And so all of a sudden there's this passing game has come alive late in the season with Iowa and it's very impressive and he's accurate too. It's not like he's just, he's, he's floating the ball out there. Like he's really throwing it on the money. No, and he's, he's doing a lot. I mean, compared to what he looked like at first, I didn't think he was capable of playing this well. Neither did I. And so this is a whole nother quarterback that we're seeing late in the season. And also the pass catchers are coming down with it, which they were having all kinds of issues early on. So 
Um, you know, and Caleb Johnson looked great. Uh, he was he was definitely making some things happen. Um, obviously, the defense, the coverage was solid. They were good at stopping the run. Um, you know, but I have two questions. First, we I, like what is life going to be like after Tory Taylor? You know, this. Yeah, I, mean, I know Iowa usually re ups, especially when with punters. But like Tory Taylor is he's special. Yeah, he's the I mean, he's he's an all time great punter. Yeah. And then once in, a, once in a lifetime kind of punter. Absolutely. And then my second question now uh, is after all of this now newfound success with the offense, I mean, do we rehire Brian Ferentz? It's a good question. It's I mean, they have turned it around a little bit. They're definitely not scoring 25 points a game. No, but they have looked better. Yeah. And like significantly, I know that the, the points aren't up there, but like this offense looks very different. Yeah. So I don't know, man. Um, I think, you know, Iowa obviously is just, I think they're going to be able to, to, they could very well. And I think probably end up 10 and two by the end of the season. I mean, they're one game away from being 10 and two. Yeah. And being for, to get to 10 and two with as as bad as the offense has been is just a credit to the defense and special teams. And, and like we've talked about earlier with Northwestern and big 10 coach of the year, like absolutely Kirk Ferentz should be in, in the running for this. You know, this is oh, an yeah. impressive feat with all that they have lost. Um, you, you definitely got to give credit where credit is due. Yeah. There's no question with all of the injuries they've had to still be here about to go 10 and two. Because everyone's had a lot of injuries, but Iowa managed to, you know, be nine and two with all those injuries, mm-hmm. and without their quarterback, and without the pass catchers, and kind of and kind of dealing with it on the fly, you know, fixing that stuff on the fly. It's yeah, it's impressive. Yep. All right, with the win, the Iowa Hawkeyes go to nine and two. With the loss, the Illinois Illini dropped to five and six. So they have a lot of pressure on them next week, too. Yep. All right. Next up, we have the number two Ohio State Buckeyes, 37. The Minnesota Golden Gophers, three. For Ohio State, Kyle McCord was a solid 20 for 30 for 212 yards on 7.1 yards per attempt, two TDs and zero picks. He had a QBR of 64, not his best game, but he made plenty of plays out there. Travion Henderson had 146 yards on a wild 9.7 yards per rush and two TDs. At wide receiver, Emeka Egbuka led the way with five catches for 83 yards, while Marvin Harrison had just three catches for 30 yards, but one of them was a touchdown. Cade Stover also caught a touchdown pass. For Ohio State, defensive end Jack Sawyer had six tackles, including a sack and three tackles for loss. Big day for him wreaking havoc in the Minnesota backfield. For Minnesota, QB Ethan Kaliak-Manis was 11 for 19 for 89 yards on 4.7 yards per attempt, zero TDs, and one interception for a QBR of 53.2. Zach Evans started the game and looked good at running back for the Gophers, but got hurt after just two carries. 
Once again, it was the Jordan Newbin show as he had 49 yards on just 2.6 yards per rush. Um, nobody stuck out for this punchless passing attack. Corey Crooms had 42 yards while Daniel Jackson added 29. This passing offense just didn't accomplish much today. And as for the total yards, Minnesota had 159. Well, Ohio State had 434. So I wanted to save that for last just because I thought it was worth noting that stat. Uh, in fact, the Buckeyes held Minnesota under 100 yards rushing and under 100 yards passing for the day. That is quite a, an accomplishment for the Buckeyes defense and is a sad commentary on the Gophers offense. John, what did you think about this one? Uh, uh, I'm I'm tired of... <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired of talking about this uh, every week. Like I'm really, I mean, I love, I love my team. I'm, I'm supportive. I'm here through the end, obviously, but like, Jesus, man, I am exhausted with the same kind of storyline, the same stuff, you know, kind of coming up now. Yes. Ohio state is Ohio state. And, and any team, you know, would you're running into a freaking brick wall here. So uh, there's very few teams, I think, that would have fared much better. And as we've seen, not many do. Um, so credit to Ohio State being, a, you know, a juggernaut as always. Uh, but Minnesota, it's just now I was hoping that. PJ would keep out a lot of our, our best players. And, you know, I know due to injury, I know that's a thing. And, and, um, I don't know exactly if they're, he's holding some of them out because you know, in hopes for a winnable game, um, next week against Wisconsin, but he played Zach Evans. So it didn't seem like he was holding people back. Yeah. And that's, and, and I don't, Zach Evans has just been, he, he's been, it feels like he's just been hurt ever since he stepped on. guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a he's super talented. He's, he's really, a really good. good player when he plays. Yes, but he just can't stay healthy. And, you know, the Gophers just couldn't get anything going. And it didn't help with like the incredibly conservative play calling either. I think, you know, we were talking about how PJ, it seemed like he's just coaching to get out of the game as fast as possible. Uh, you know, when and when you can't do what Minnesota does, you can't run the ball. Um, and you can't pass, you know, and obviously the passing game wasn't working well enough either, you, you know, which again, this is uh, an Ohio state defense. Not many people can do any of that, but, um, but I will say on the positive, you know, if I'm trying to find something here, uh, Minnesota's defense, I think played relatively well in the first half, um, considering who they were playing again, they, I think they did pretty good there. Um, but you know, it's so hard to stop. Travian Henderson. It's so hard to stop Kyle McCord and and Marvison, Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, like, what are you going to do against this team? It's it. And now Mecca Book is healthy. Yeah, exactly. Like it's they're just there's weapons everywhere. Like, how do you stop Ohio State on either side of the ball? So it just it was it was rough, man. It was really rough. I don't know what else to say. Um, pain. Pain is is what what it feels like this season. This is this sucks. <laughs> yeah, this Ohio State team. I haven't seen this team in person, but I was at the game last year and saw Ohio State Michigan in person, and like the sheer speed Ohio State possesses 
is wild. Yeah. It's crazy at the skill positions, especially how fast they are. Um, yeah, I agree with you. The Gopher D did really well holding the Buckeyes to 13 in the first half, especially because the offense wasn't helping them at all. Nope. And so without that help to hold, yeah, Ohio State to 13 was was really impressive work. Um, let's talk about Ohio State first a little bit. The Buckeyes did a good job attacking both on the ground and through the air, I thought. Yeah. Day committed to the running game enough, which he doesn't always do. Um, and then when the Buckeyes did go play action pass, it was usually there for them, I thought. Um, Day did screw up, though, and he needlessly, right before halftime in the first half, he needlessly exposed Kyle McCord to an extra sack right before the half when he ran a play instead of just running the clock out. Hmm. which he was obviously planning to run the clock out. He wasn't trying to score. He wasn't running a Hail Mary. So if you're just going to run the clock out anyway, why run a play at all? And then, you know, it was a weird decision from Day, and it's especially a questionable decision when you recall Kyle McCord came up kind of gimpy after that hit. Yeah. Now, McCord seemed fine after that, but it was a bad decision in the moment. Yeah. You know, you got definitely, you know, knowing what you got coming up next week, you you have to be protecting your players as well. Um, and there was no need for, you know, well, what are you trying to do? You know, just kneel it out and 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 half. Yeah, it was it was a that was a strange choice on his part. That's bizarre. Um, the Buckeyes, though, they're as good as advertised. I mean, they really are. They're special on all in all phases of the game. There are not enough superlatives. That defense is rock solid. It's yeah. The skill position players are amazing. You know, they have guys who can take it to the house at any moment. It's it's, I mean, they look like a national title contender. That's what they look like. Yep. Ohio state is, is definitely built to win a title. And I think they could very well accomplish that this year. That Ohio state, Michigan game, man, that's going to be one. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to get away from talking about the Gophers because I'm so frustrated. All right. Here's the thing. Twice, twice PJ Fleck had third and five from in Buckeye territory around the 40-yard lines. Both times he ran the ball on third down and then punted on fourth down. You're just not seriously threatening the other team's defense when you run on third and medium and then punt on fourth and medium from the 40-yard line. Those are two scoring opportunities where you didn't bother even throwing the ball on third and medium. Like, what are we even doing here, John? Yeah. I don't. And that's, that's been the whole thing all year. This conservative play calling that is driving the whole fan base. Absolutely insane. And, and it's why people are calling for his head, you know, now is he, I'm not calling for it. I, and neither are you. We are. I am not. But you can you can understand to a point why the fan base is frustrated and just and because they're they're sick and tired of this because this is a common theme with PJ. He's always been a conservative play play caller. He's he's always wanted to play that kind of game. I get it. That's your style. But at the same time, like we've been talking about and we've been repeating ourselves over and over and over and over again, um, you have to evolve. You have to change. You have to be willing to take some level of risk. And if you're just not then yeah, this is why you're sitting with only five wins on the season. 
And and it's and it's not going to cut it even against a Wisconsin team who's very beatable, like because you can see that they are willing to take some of those risks and you're not. And that will continue that will that could cost you the game next week and therefore cost you bowl eligibility. Well, PJ has been he hasn't he's been pretty aggressive against Wisconsin. Which is weird. Like, that's the one game out of every season that he seems to just go apeshit. The, la- the last couple years. The last couple years, yeah. He used to be really conservative against them. He got he really got hurt being conservative against them in 2019, I thought. And it seemed like that, that clicked into his head that he needed to be a little more aggressive if he was going to win the X. Yeah. I hope that continues. I, I really do. Yeah. I just don't know what else to say about these gophers with the inconsistency at this point. I don't, I don't either, man. And, but again, you know, and it's also, it's been injuries as well. Yes. You know, we do have to talk about that. That has to be a point because, and it is, and it's true. It's not, this team has been riddled with injuries all season long at very key positions and the best players. They've been clustered at the same positions is the thing. Yeah. It's been running back, linebacker, defensive back. Yep. And having so many injuries at those three positions has just has just taken its toll on a defense that at times this year was a pretty good defense. Yeah. 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 All right. With the win, number two, Ohio State goes to 11 and 0 with the loss. The Minnesota Golden Gophers drop to five and six. All right. Next up or last up, I should say we have. The Wisconsin Badgers, 24. The Nebraska Cornhuskers, 17. Total yards, Nebraska, 364 to Wisconsin's 316. Passing and rushing numbers were fairly similar, although Nebraska had slightly more yards rushing and passing. Um, Wisconsin QB Tanner Mordecai was 18 for 28 for 160 yards on 5.7 yards per attempt. One TD, a QBR of 76.1. So a solid, if unspectacular, day for Mordecai. Braylon Allen had 62 yards on just 2.8 yards per rush, but he looked healthier than he has in weeks, and that helped him score two TDs for the Badgers. Uh, Mordecai also contributed 51 yards rushing. Will Pauling once again led Wisconsin with eight catches for 79 yards, so big day for Pauling. And linebacker Jordan Turner had nine tackles, a sack, and one and a half tackles for loss. For Nebraska, QB Chubba Purdy was 15 for 24 for 169 yards for seven yards per attempt, one TD and a pick. Purdy was huge on the ground, contributing 105 yards rushing on 7.5 yards per rush and a TD. Purdy's 55-yard TD started the scoring for Nebraska and helped the Huskers get out to an early 14-0 lead. He showed some serious wheels in that run. He threw a dime on the next TD pass. Um, running back Emmett Johnson also had 50 yards on 3.8 yards per rush. And wide receiver Jalen Lloyd caught a long 58-yard TD pass. And uh, Billy Kemp had eight catches for 43 yards. John, what did you think about this game? This was exciting. This was a very exciting yeah. game. Um, you know, this definitely could have gone, gone either way. And I, I Nebraska, I think... What I've been, you know, I think what I said last week about how I think, you know, Purdy is is like the next best option. And I think he's kind of proven that at this point. I think the other guy can move seriously move with his legs. I think he's the most dynamic runner, um, at least at this point, what we've seen. And I think he's fast. He's so fast. 
Um, and he can throw the ball too. Like he, he, when he, he's on man, I mean, he's not, he's not too bad there. So I think what I, what I, that was good to see that they, I feel like they need to continue obviously with, with Purdy at this point in time, actually. And I don't know if they have any other choice at this point either, but, um, he was able to sling it all over the field. He looked accurate. He was able to have some explosive plays in the passing game. And also Emmett Johnson looked really good too. Again, he's, he seems to yep. be their RB one and he, he, um, continues to produce. So I was very happy to see that, but I think like with what we see a lot of, with these other, with these quarterbacks too, the one thing, the thing I will say about Purdy is he does have some issues with touch. You know, he does like to gun it in there and it's, a but you see that a lot around with these young quarterbacks in the big 10. Um, because I think he he missed one that he just had to float floated into the end zone, but and it, you know, but he just you know rifled in and unfortunately didn't didn't end up with the TD. But defensively, uh, you know, the secondary looked like they were locking down the Wisconsin's receivers. Um, there was a lot of missed opportunities though for sacks, and I got to give credit to Mordecai for that because that guy has some serious escapability. Like he really knows how to get out of there and slip through things that I don't know how, how he does. And to me, that was like the difference maker in this game and how Wisconsin was able to win was, was Mordecai's ability to kind of just make enough plays with his legs and staying and extending plays enough to, to be able to, to um, pull out this win because early on, and this is something I've noticed too with Wisconsin, is they they've been starting slow all season, and they get down yeah. they get down big early quite often, and obviously they weren't able to make you know even they weren't able to make a comeback last week against Northwestern, um, and they were lucky to to make that happen this week against Nebraska, and I got to give all credit to Mordecai and his ability to to extend these plays and not take the sack when it looks like he should be going down when I don't know how he continues to get away, but he does. And uh, uh, the aggressive play calling, I think, was also able to um, why um, Wisconsin was able to continue to to get to move forward here. Um, and Allen looked pretty good, um, but I don't know. Like I said, I'm not sure what's with 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 these slow starts with Wisconsin. That's the most concerning thing because uh, that's I think been been their downfall. I think they uh, are still looking for that identity, whether or not they really want to be a pass first team or run first team. Um, and uh, you know. I guess we'll we'll have to see how that's going to go next week. Um, both teams, I think, next week. I know this isn't a preview episode, but he, they're going to have to definitely start out a lot quicker. It kind of depends on what the score is and whether Luke Fickle wants to be run first or pass first, yeah. right? Like when he's behind, he wants to throw the ball. And when he's ahead, he wants to run the ball, mm-hmm. um, as so many coaches do. I thought Mordecai, I'm with you. I th- thought he played pretty well getting Wisconsin back into the game after the early 14-0 deficit. Um, at that point, the Badgers could rely a little more on the run game. And Braylon Allen, he looks healthy. The stats weren't good because Nebraska is a really good run defense. But he looks like himself. Yeah. Like in a way that he didn't earlier in the year. And yeah. I thought that made a tangible difference in this game. And yeah, I was just, I, I had the same thing written down as you, what you said. Mordecai is dangerous with his legs. And that showed up in overtime on that long third down run. Yeah. And just so many times throughout the game where he is, you know, he's a guy you have to put a spy on him, I think. Yeah, absolutely. He's just, uh, yeah, he's too dynamic in the back. If you, and if you'd let him go and you gotta, you gotta wrap up. If you, if you have hands on him, you have to, you have to bring him down. Yeah. Yeah. And then my last note I had said to myself was 
Nebraska just kind of self-destructed on both sides of the ball in overtime. Yep. And it's unfortunate in the game they had a real shot to win, but it's sort of Nebraska still kind of trying to figure out how to win games. Yeah. Well, the other thing I, I don't think I mentioned here, but I, I, it's still been problematic and it's something that we're still not used to seeing and, and we're going to see it tested probably again next week um, is Wisconsin's defense just not looking good against the run. And no, and, and in also, and in the first half, not the passing game either, obviously like Wisconsin just had holes all over the place. They were playing on their heels the entire time defensively, you know, in the second half, they were able to step it up a little bit and they looked better, but there's some big problems on that defense for sure. Yeah, no, no, no. Wisconsin's defense has been a problem pretty much all year. Yeah. Um, they had that moment of playing pretty well against Ohio state, but that was a while ago now. Yep. Yeah. All right. With the win, Wisconsin becomes bowl eligible at six and five. And with the loss, Nebraska falls to five and six and has to put that off for another week. I mean, it's just so it'll be interesting. (laughs) Interesting. I'm of, uh, if Nebraska can't find a way to win next week, another year of bowl ineligibility, I just, I don't know, man. Um, you know, you almost start to feel bad for the Nebraska Husker faithful. So it's, yeah. It's I mean, we might, we might be joining them on the couch for bowl season, John. We very well could. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Minnesota has to win next week or they will not make a bowl game. Yeah. Which is not a spot I think either one of us thought we were going to be at at this point in the season. No, no, I no, I did not. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Yeah, absolutely. Again, uh, if you want to find We Live for Saturday, uh, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. Uh, find us on Twitter at we live for B1G Sat. You can also email us, we live for Saturday, B1G at gmail.com. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for rocking with us. As always, it's been fun. This we got a particularly big games this week. It is rivalry week, so get excited for hate week. Get all your rivalry stuff ready to go. I know I'm pumped to fight for Paul Bunyan's axe. Right, John. You guys enjoy the week and just one more week of college football. Let's take it all in. Yep, exactly. Take every bit of it in. All right, we'll be back to review these games and have an awesome day.